Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to Conversations with the Voice of Reason. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's conversant is Issa Ismail, an Arab-American woman who transitioned in her early 20s and has recently detransitioned. She made a documentary, wonderfully produced, titled A Year in Transition, that explores her process or actually documents her process of transition. And she has been doing a little bit of documenting about her detransition, but not as thoroughly. And so I'm very happy to have her on and get her insight into this process. What caused her to want to transition and what caused her to want to detransition. Her life experience is very unique, uh, so I know you're going to get a lot out of it, and I'll get out of the way and allow you to meet, if you haven't already, Issa Ismail. I don't like being uh, predictable, <laughs> but I've done a number of interviews with detransitioners, and there's kind of an arc, like a general arc. I don't know if we've, we've spoken about that previously. Um but I guess the first question is, where did it all begin? Yeah. Um, you know, for me, I think what the greatest resource that I have is my documentary. Um, I can't remember if you had watched it and and went through all of the things that I've kind of put out there um, for people. Um, mm. But, you know, I didn't have the words maybe for it until I was a teenager. I would say about 17, 18 when I started meeting trans folks. Um, but as a child, I was extremely gender fluid. Um, I hung out with all genders. I wore all gendered clothing. Um, I was just like a very like all around child. Um, so I never really thought much into it. Like my family had just looked at me as like a tomboy, for example. And, um, it wasn't until I think, yeah, like I was about 17 when I started to really question myself. And I think because, you know, I had then come out as gay at the time. So my sexuality sprouted first when I was like, okay, I'm going to come out. These are the things that I'm going to do. Um, I think like because of my idea of what relationships were, um, and that would be like very heteronormative. So like male, female, female, like masculine, feminine. And I always found myself attracted to more feminine people. And so that brought out my masculine energy a lot. Mm. Um, and so I think that when I started dating and I started being in these relationships, um, I found myself in a more masculine gender expression and kind of, I would say sometimes a little bit more performative, um, because I was trying to maybe prove my masculinity as much as I could given, you know, my female body. Um, and, you know, just like a series of like thoughts and experiences and complex moments just led me to get to the point where I had thought hormones was going to be the best decision for myself um, to maybe, you know, help masculinize my body more. Um, 
and kind of just be perceived as this more masculine person. So it was kind of more of a turning up a dial rather than completely becoming a male or? Yeah, I would say that that's, that's like an accurate, um, Hmm. you know, way to like view it. Um, Everything was so subtle, the tweaks that I would call them, you know, of my gender and sexuality, it just, they would change over time, maybe they would go towards one binary or the other. Um, But it wasn't like a, I'm going to wake up one day and I'm taking hormones or, you know, like when I decided to take hormones three years prior is when I had started to come out as trans. So it wasn't something that was like right on my mind the moment that I had come to terms with my identity at that time. Um, because I, I was nervous, you know, I didn't really know what that life would look like. And a lot of the people that I dated identified as, um, cis women, lesbians or bisexual. So sometimes the scariness thought of me transitioning to be male, they wouldn't want to be with me. Um, so at the, you know, when I was younger, I was very dependent on partnerships as a lot of young people are, you know? Um, so that's, you know, stopped me from doing it. Um, not that they weren't supportive either. It was just my own mind blocking me. Um, and then, yeah, I, um, I do remember the moment where I decided I was going to go to a therapist to now explore my gender. And when I reflect back on it, I think it's more of a body dysmorphia um, instead of gender dysphoria, in a sense. Um, or maybe, you know, there was some, but I would think it would lead more to the body dysmorphia. Um, but I was I was trying on clothes, and it was like men's jeans and a men's shirt. And I was just looking in the mirror, and nothing fit me right, no matter what size I had. And this was pre-surgery, you know, pre-everything. And I just like got to the point where I was like, I don't want to live like this anymore because I was just so unhappy looking in the mirror um, as, as not being able to see that masculinity in me. Um, and then that's when I decided, okay, I'm going to seek out a therapist. Um, and the therapist that I sought out was um, Dalton Connolly, who was in the documentary. Um, that was the first therapist that I saw. Has, what, could you, Talk about your relationship to the mirror. Has that always been, was that always a prominent way of checking in with yourself and uh, I guess uh, concretizing your identity, who you were, or how you presented and what the, what the mirror meant and did? Yeah. Um, I really like that you brought that question up because um, I haven't really thought about the influence of my appearance as far as like looking in mirrors is actually a very huge part of my life. Um, I am known for looking in mirrors a lot, actually. That's why I think it's interesting that you actually brought that up. Um, When I was younger, I remember in high school always asking, does my hair look okay? How do I look? Does this fit right? You know, to my friends. And obviously we get body issues in high school normally every kid does when they go through puberty. Um, but my friends would make fun of me because they were always like, you're always asking us how you look. And I did all, like an, to an extreme amount. Um, mm-hmm. And I was just a very insecure person. Um, even though I showed my confidence so much, 
I very much just like did what I wanted to do, made decisions and felt confident in those and things like that. But when it came to my appearance, I was really insecure. Um, even though and not, you know, in a conceited way, I was attractive person. And I just I extreme I felt extremely insecure all the time. And I was bullied a little bit in high school, too. Um, so that could have added to it. But Did the bullying come from females or males more? Um, I would say more with females, but both. Um, I, um, yeah, I was just, I was like really picked on. Um, hmm. and it was for, um, so I'm Arabic and I went to like a predominantly like Arabic school. Um, and like the, the culture can be very judgmental sometimes. If you did anything, you were talked about. Um, your reputation was a big thing and still is in mm -hmm. our culture. Um, people care about that extremely. Just to give more context for the audience. So you said a mostly Arab Arabic school. Could you mm -hmm. give us the decade? And then also, are these children of first generation immigrants, second generation immigrants? Like, uh, yeah, um, I would say it would be like both generations. It, like, you know, that was like very fluid in it, too. Um, it would have when I was in high school, it was um, 2008 to 2012. Um, so, yeah, like a little over 10 years ago. Um, and the thing, how I can explain it, it like, it, it's actually kind of hard to explain unless you are Arabic, um, because it's, it's just like this understood kind of like thing that like, um, everything is kept a secret or quiet from other people if it's looked to be negative or frowned upon. Um, yeah, or different it, in some way. Yeah, or different. You know, deviant. whether you be a part of the queer community, like, you don't come out to anyone. You don't, you know, like, that's a big thing. And it, and there's a lot of um, Arab queer people that their parents don't know. Or maybe their parents know, but their aunt, uncles, and cousins don't know. You know, like, there's a lot of things that get kept in the family type of mentality. Um, so, you know, in high school... I was someone who dated boys. Um, I had slept with boys in high school, you know, different things like that, just kissing, holding hands, you know, anything like that. You Or you couldn't even be doing anything physical with them. But if you were alone with a boy, it was still looked as really bad um, and you were talked about. So I was bullied a lot in high school for things like that. Um, and I don't regret any of those things. Um but like, but yeah, that was, that was really hard for me when I was going through high school. So I think like a lot of times when I was getting called names, um, you know, that just made me feel really ashamed about myself and sexuality or, you know, whatever decisions I were making. Um, Arabic, yeah. Arabic is a, that's a fluid category. Could you help us understand as Americans? Yeah. That's just not one country. Mm -hmm. That's a collection. Yeah. It's kind of an area. And then, it's and kind then of like there's Islam and in yeah. forming that too yeah yeah so i mean i know like where i'm from in dearborn heights michigan you know saying arabs or arabic and things like that it's like that general umbrella term um for middle eastern people um as far as like where exactly i mean i've like 
predominantly like a Lebanese, like which I'm half Lebanese. So, it, but there was like, I mean, ev- like all different types of people, but just like Middle Eastern folk, basically. Um, and then there was, there were a lot of um, American kids there and black kids and Hispanic and things like that too. But predominantly it was Middle Eastern kids. Um, is there a lot of Islamic influence up front or is that yeah. in the background? Is that most people are practicing uh, Muslim or? Yeah, I would say, I mean, I would say that they're, th- they were very much Muslim. And when you're at that age, as far as the practicing, I mean, they practice to certain extents. Maybe the elders in their family were, were more, you know, on top of their religion. Um, but definitely like certain things that they disagreed about, they would reference to Islam, (laughs) you know, um, like a lot of folks use the Bible, for example, um, to like, say that you you know, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Well, I bring that up because traditionally, and uh, I don't know to what degree your community was secularized, but traditionally there's very rigid gender categories, very rigid sex categories in mm-hmm. Islamic countries or Arabic countries. So I wonder how the view of a rigid female and a rigid male category influenced your thinking and influenced how you felt between or had to be both or. Yeah. I mean, I would say that being, being Arab and Lebanese and I'm, I'm half from my father's side and I didn't have too. they were very Americanized my father's side. Um, but I didn't really have too much influence of my decision-making or really even just thoughts about being Arabic when it came to my, gender and sexuality. Um, I wouldn't say that those would have any um, influence on and on me at all, actually. Um, it just happened to be like the school that I was at during that okay. time. But okay. when it came to family and things like that, um, that was never anything that I had to personally worry about. If that okay. kind of helps clear it up a little bit. Yeah. So, to, pardon me if this is too personal, but to what degree was coming out... Uh, risking your relationships, your family relationships coming out as lesbian or bisexual? Um, yeah. Um, it didn't really risk my relationships at all. Um, I have always been looked at by my family as a very mature, level-headed, confident person. Um, very independent, you know. Um, so when I when I said something, they knew that that was what I meant. And I was sure of it. And, um, you know, like I, I, they just, they trusted me a lot. They knew that if I had a decision or there was something that I wanted or needed or whatever it was, I, I was very sure of it. Um, so when I did come out, um, so like I didn't know how the reaction was going to be, even though I knew how, easygoing my family was and I was still obviously nervous um but it was super smooth I mean I the first person I came out to was my grandmother and the family and I just told her I was like so I'm going on a date this weekend and she was like okay and it wasn't not common for me to go on dates and I was like but with a girl and she was like 
okay. And that was it, you know, like it was very, very easy. Um, I don't speak to my father. And at the time I was not talking to him, so I didn't have to really come out to him. And then my mother, um, she was going through her own mental health issues at the time. So I don't believe she had the capacity to really understand too much. Um, so it wasn't really that I wasn't accepted. Um, our communication just was not there. So even if we did have a conversation, it could have turned negative because of many other things, not because of my sexuality. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm trying to, yeah. So I, that conversation just was, wasn't well to begin with anyways, but she's 100% behind me with everything now. So there's no worries on my end for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was so, very fortunate. Yeah. At 17, you come out and it's more about sexuality and not about gender or what, what's your relationship with gender and sexuality? How do they overlap or? I think you've given us hints yeah. that they're related in relationship yeah, I mean, to other people. Yeah. Um, well, when I was a child, you know, I wore more masculine clothing. I All my friends were boys. And, and once I had gotten into, I would say, seventh grade, um, my mother had always tried to get me to wear girls' clothes, feminine clothing, and I just would always refu- would refuse. When I was in the seventh grade, I had a crush on a boy. And my mom had told me, well, if you want to get his attention, you need to wear girls clothes and do your hair and all of these things. And for picture day, I like looked more feminine than I ever had because I always was wearing my hair in a ponytail and a baggy t-shirt. So when I did, I kind of liked it and I was getting his attention a little bit more. Um, So that kind of enticed me a little bit. And from seventh grade, I started to become more feminine and eighth grade a little bit. But I still was, if I was at home, I was wearing basketball shorts and a t-shirt, um, hair up, you know, like just really lounging around like that. And eighth grade going into high school, I switched schools and I knew the kids from, I, I jumped schools every year, pretty much. I changed schools. So I oh. knew them previously from middle school. So I ended up going back and then now going into the high school there. So eighth grade going into my freshman year, I had re-met a friend of mine in fifth grade and she was extremely feminine and being around her, even though I was wearing more masculine clothing, she showed me more how to do my hair, how to wear makeup, how to dress, you know, all these things. And then that's when my femininity started to like blossom more. Hmm. So for a long time until I was about 12 or 13, I was extremely masculine, um, And once I got into high school and started going through puberty and things, that's when I started to explore my femininity and I really liked it. Um, Once I was, once I came out, that's when my masculinity started to come back out again. And that would probably have been like four or five years, you know, later. And when I was exploring that, that's when I I was in high school when I cut off all my hair. Um, So I was in my senior year. I just did like a dramatic chop of everything. Um, because no one was believing that I liked women because I dated so many guys. So for me, that was like a way to kind of show my queerness in the only way that I knew how to, given lack of representation. Um, and so once I once I was getting out of high school, going into college, 
that's where the shift more so started happening. I started meeting trans people and then I started to kind of click with them in certain areas and then explore my masculinity even further. Could you expand on that clicking? What, what synced up um, between yeah. your experience and theirs or their personality and yours? And... Yeah. Um, I think, you know, there, there wasn't everything that clicked. So I would get like a click with this person from over here and then a click from that person. And then it wouldn't click for this. And, you know, and I just would kind of like sift through all my friends or just online and try and see, um, a lot of things that I think that clicked for me were the viewing yourself as another gender in childhood. Um, and I think that even though I was a tomboy and I, at that time, you know, in my mind, I was like, I am a girl, but I like boys things and things like that was moments like being mistaken for a boy and not correcting them, but not necessarily feeling too uncomfortable with them calling me a boy, but just not really thinking much into it either. And then feeling extremely uncomfortable when I started to grow breasts through puberty. Um, you know, it was like certain moments like that people had talked about that I was like, oh, I really resonate with that. Um, you know, liking masculine clothing, um, not liking how the shirt clings to your chest and feeling uncomfortable like that. Um, you know, like someone just perceiving you and addressing you as this masculine person. Um, when people would say that, I was like, I resonate with that. Like, I like when someone sees my masculinity and things like that. Um, but I never felt the, the things that never clicked for me were the I should have always been born a, a male um, or having dysphoria when it came to bottom um, surgery. I never had that, um, you know, so there was like there was like bigger things, too, that I was like, that doesn't really click for me. If that, you know, answers is best. So the, the decision to transition was very gradual. Then. Mm -hmm. And you said that you had more body dysmorphia than gender dysphoria. Could you explain that a little bit more? Was your body something you didn't like and it wasn't just the gender? It was just there's something not right about it? Or um, it? I think... I, I mean, I will say that it would probably be both. Um, I just think that the body dysmorphia was probably stronger than the gender dysphoria. Um, so for me, it was, you know, looking in the mirror and just not seeing my body for what it actually was, looking at things and saying, like, that looks bigger than this. Or, you know, just like looking at my body, thinking I was maybe even heavier than what I was weight wise, or, you know, just really critiquing and picking out everything mm. about myself. Um, a lot with my curves in my hips, the way that jeans felt or, you know, things like that. Um, the dysphoria for gender, the thing is, is that I just really think that I, I wasn't able to find a way to express my masculinity. And because of my ideas of what it meant to be a masculine person, we're very rooted in um, heterosexual um, men, cis men, um, beard, you know, all those things. Like that was my view of masculinity. So I didn't think or really fully understand that I could still show my masculinity even with looking how I was. But that was because that's how I grew up you know, like in how society perceives masculine people usually. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's what kind of pushed me a little bit more 
Um, and then, yeah, like the uncomfortableness of like having curves and being associated with a woman's body. Mm -hmm. Was there something more than just the body in the, and the gender roles? Was there a perception of femininity as something just for example, weak, mm -hmm. uh, open to ridicule from men? Was there something about masculinity that was more free and able to you know, make more decisions, uh, have more agency in the world? Was there that level of disliking or wanting to be one thing rather than the other in society? Um, honestly, I, I didn't think that much into it. I hmm. really didn't. I think I just really felt like how I was viewing myself and how I wanted to be viewed by others. I didn't really think about the social changes until they happened. And I think that's what caused me to want to teach, like that, not the sole purpose, but I think that's one of the things that would have caused me to now detransition. But I never thought about, you know, society as a whole and how they're going to treat me as a male person because I knew that I was trans and I was born a different way and things like that. But because of how masculine I looked, the way that people perceived me and judged me and treated me, even though I was the same exact person I've always been, like that, that is what kind of like threw me off a little bit. But I, but I didn't think about that prior. I didn't really register that. I kind of was just more so of like the, my immediate surrounding of people and how they were perceiving me. I wasn't really thinking of the outside world as much. Okay. Yeah. And was there, was there something about a man that you wanted? You, did you want a beard? Um, I, or was it like upper body strength kind of, kind of thing? You know, it's really none of that. I, I like, it's really the, it's really just the energy of my masculinity. And okay. I don't know if that's explaining it well enough for people and, and I don't really know how else to explain it that when I was before I went on hormones, I truly did not think I was going to have a beard. I did not think I was going to get that hairy. Um, my therapist was like, you're Arabic, like you're going to get that hairy. But I just didn't I didn't think that because I knew how I looked prior and I didn't expect my body to masculinize so much. I was I was very surprised when it masculinized that much. And I think really, I think a lot of maybe um, trans men feel similar before they go on hormones because they see everyone else getting beards and, and, you know, these things. And sometimes people don't. And sometimes you think, well, that's not going to be me. Like, they're lucky. That's why they got that beard. Or, you know, this happened. Or like, if you are this very feminine looking person, you don't you've never seen yourself as that masculine person. So you can't really imagine it either until it happens. I'm not terribly well-versed in Arabic body types, but from what I know, the, there's kind of a sexual dimorphism that's pretty strong. There's pretty feminine females and pretty masculine males, especially with, I guess, body hair and, and the, uh, a lot of just the different shapes I, I can mm -hmm. see there's there's a big kind of a difference, uh, more or less. Were you kind of aiming for something in the middle? Did you want like a non-binary, just a slightly tweaked uh, or a less feminine, more masculine or something in the middle? Is that what you were aiming for in your head? Um, 
I feel bad saying that. Like I not I feel bad saying this, but like I didn't I didn't have a target. I didn't have an aim. Mm-hmm. I kind of was just let's see how this goes and was taking it month by month as I could, you know, with when like or not even month by month, like change by change. Whatever I started to notice differently about myself, I would I would start I would keep going. Um I do know though that when I made the decision I was I was with that decision. So I never thought that I would ever go off of hormones. So when I chose to transition, I I really truly thought this was it. Like I'm on hormones now and and this is how I will present for the rest of my life. Um hmm. and I never thought twice about it. It was like just one of those things I was like this is my life now and I went with it. And I didn't really dissect it too much. Were there yeah. underlying or subsidiary um Issues of some sort, uh, anxiety you mentioned, or self-consciousness you mentioned. Was there other turmoils that, uh, in so far as hormones or a transition would allow you to deal with other issues? Or was it rooted in self-perception, more or less? So like a... If I understand your question correctly, are you asking more so like during the transition, was there anything that um, like made me uncomfortable or like anxiety about like in this new body. Is that what you're kind of going towards? I've spoken with detransitioners, uh, that point to other things that they're dealing with where they Mm kind of lump everything into dealing with my gender and transitioning will solve everything else that I'm dealing with. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, for me, so I made a YouTube video, which which thoroughly explains as best as I felt like at that moment I could uh, why I decided to transition and why I decided to detransition. And within those two questions, I had come up with reasons maybe why I decided to go that route. What could have happened in my life, what experiences, you know, that could have caused me to go to that decision. Um, and... One of the big ones, well, I would say there's there's two big ones that I thought. One of the reasons that I thought I could have been uncomfortable in my body was because from the age of five to 13, I was sexually abused by my father's brother. And that's right when you're going through puberty as well. I had, I had just gotten my period. So all of these things are happening. And when your body is taken from you, and then you're going through puberty on top of that and you're trying to find yourself in this world. And then, and then right after puberty, you're going through your sexuality, you know, all of these things like you could feel extremely uncomfortable in your body. Mm-hmm. And so could I say that led to that? It could have, you know, um, another thing is I was going through a lot of trauma when I went to, I mean, it was trauma after trauma, one after another up until transitioning. And, and so I, after so it was sexually abused until 13. And then I had come out um, as gay at, I would say, probably 16. Um, 17, then I'm like trying to also start to figure out my gender a little bit. Um, right when I was 17, um, my mother had gone through an addiction um, that ended up lasting eight years. Um, at 18, I'm going to university and college and living on my own for the first time. 19, I meet um, my first real 
like adult queer relationship partner who I move in with, you know, first, first time things I, and then go through an immense heartbreak of a breakup. And all of those things just kept happening one after another, where did transitioning and starting a new life look very enticing to me? It did, you know, like being able to kind of recreate myself, pick myself up from the ashes, basically, and kind of say, this is who I am, find an identity and feel good about that. You know, that could have also led to my decision making. And could I have dissociated it a little bit um, when it came to all of those traumas and kind of created, yes, Isa as this new identity um, and new life and, you know, and all of these things. Like there are mm -hmm. so many things that we can say that would have led up to all of my decisions. But ultimately, you know, I tried to make the best decision given all of those mm -hmm. complex moments, you know. Um, so, yeah. Did that answer it? You, you brought up a lot. I did bring up a lot. I, I'm sorry. I brought up. No, lot. no, not at all. I have a lot in my, that's the thing is I have a lot in my life. Like I've at the age of 27 for all of the things that I've gone through and things that have happened to me, it's a lot. Like it's, it's extremely overwhelming. And hmm. so you could see why I'm, I was struggling so much as a young adult trying to discover myself because think of anyone in general, that's such a difficult time. Mm -hmm. You know, and so it's like, now let's add all of these other traumas on top of it, you know, so it, it mm -hmm. was very overwhelming. Were there, what was supplementing to the hormones? Did you begin to train yourself? You, you said there's some sort of energy, like a masculine as opposed to feminine energy. I really jive with that. I really understand that. That's mm -hmm. how I really conceive of gender. Were there... Did you do a lot of production in this new person where you kind of figured out different gestures, different uh, have to remap how you spoke more masculinely and, you know, then then respond to how people are confused, maybe not reading you correctly. What, what supplemented the hormones in, in your transition? Yeah, I, um, well, I said earlier, you know, I've, I felt like my masculinity was very performative. Um, so there, does that there mean were, inauthentic or does that mean, um, yeah. What, what do you I mean would by performative? Say, I would say authentic, but still um, paying closely attention to maybe my mannerisms and how I okay. say things. Um, just, just paying more attention and maybe shifting some things. Like, I mean, you could think of this as, this is an, a great example, which me saying this, I'm hoping that someone else can also resonate with this, but the way you cross your legs. That was, I mean, you know, if I went to go just cross them over instead of just putting my ankle on my knee is a more masculine stance, you know? So I would be more conscious of these things. Um, people would say that when I first get introduced to someone, I'm very, um, I'm very masculine. I'm very, um, straightforward, forthright, straightforward. Yeah. All of that, you know? And then when you get to know me, that's when my, I start to be, be a, what they would say is a little bit more flamboyant. Um, hmm. but that was just natural to me, you know, the way that I move my hands and I talk and I've always, I've always talked like this. And so that could be seen as a little bit more feminine. Um, but there was always like a notice of when I first met someone. And so when they got to know me, um, or maybe if I just felt comfortable with them off the bat, there was, there was always that kind of like performative, but it was subconscious. I didn't really know that I was doing it sometimes. Okay, um, yeah. 
Yeah. And when you began the transition path, did that, did your relationship to the mirror uh, that you carry around yourself, the focus on yourself, did that get turned up? Did it become it's, greater? It um, actually got it turned down. Okay, so it, it turned, subsided. It, it turned, but I think, I would like to say that maybe a big reason of that is because men aren't pressured as much as women when it comes to their body. And I, and I think that men and women definitely do have pressure in both ways, you know, like, especially when it comes to being like this masculine person having muscles and, and the beard, you know, and things like that. And when it came to, when it came to just like how I dressed every day and how I did my hair, I still very much was looking in the mirror a lot and making sure that I looked well kept. But when it came to maybe my stomach or my hips or things like that, as I was on testosterone more and more and my body changed and, and chest surgery relieved an immense amount of discomfort for me. Hmm. Um, it just, yeah, it was, it was a little bit easier to look in the mirror because, but I also, to the level that I take care of myself as a feminine person and the level of, of what I take care of myself as a masculine person, I mean, the femininity is up here and the masculinity was down here. And you could have put that, into many a ways, like even to the point of just taking vitamins every day. I just really stopped taking care of myself when I viewed myself as this masculine person because masculine people don't really take care of themselves like that, hmm. right? But because I, I had grown, like that's the idea usually, like like uh, I think society would have, especially about like younger men and, you know, things like that. Um, so I still very much looked in the mirror. Um, but not as, as in the same way, I kind of started to accept myself a lot, but the turn was more, was now like, I didn't like the extreme masculinity and the extreme masculinity for me was the hair. Um, and like within, like on my body and my beard and then the thinning of the hair and then, um, did that kick in I, pretty quickly and pretty strongly or did, did it I would say at about, or? at about two years was when like, I really had like a full beard and, and hair started growing on my body at two years to my five year mark. Um, I was extremely uncomfortable and depressed. Um, okay. I had a lot of gender euphoria prior to that. And I think like for the first year, I mean, I was, I was still very androgynous, um, that first year on hormones. And then the one year to two year, that's when the beard really started growing in. And I was just like, okay. And then from two years to five years, I mean, my masculinity, I mean, skyrocketed. like, like my beard, like I, I just, it just was even more and more. And I just, further felt uncomfortable in my body to the point where I was just like not taking care of it, not eating healthy. Um, hmm. Yeah. Just doing a lot of self-destructive behavior. Hmm. And, and, and I will say this too, because I was only dealing with my, my gender and sexuality. I hadn't at that time healed from my traumas from when I was a child. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like, at the two-year mark, I didn't have to worry about all my trans stuff. I'd got my name changed. I got surgery. I've already been on hormones. Okay. I, I'd done the checklist. 
So now that the checklist is done and I don't have other things preoccupying my mind of all these things that I have to do, now I'm sitting with my feelings. Oh, okay. You know? Yeah. And to how did testosterone affect your emotional palate? Uh, how did it rearrange your feelings? Uh, and then how did that go on to inform that later half of your transition? Yeah. Um, I mean, testosterone, you know, blocks you a little bit from like crying or, you know, I wouldn't say empathy so much for me because I, I care a lot, um, about certain things and, and relationships and people and friends and stuff. Um, but the way that I handled my emotions was a little bit of a wall up a little bit more, um, and it was like, I always remember saying like, I could feel my anger in my chest and it felt like a blockage and I couldn't really release it as quickly as I would have liked to. Um, and definitely like crying, um, helps release those emotions. And, and I wasn't able to kind of like cry as much as I do now being like off, off of hormones and having estrogen in my body. Um, mm-hmm. you can cry upon yeah. command now. Is this a... I probably cry every morning, um, just like very special, beautiful things about life. But I Mm. think I also, because of all of the experience that I had in the last five years, Mm. I now view myself in the world and life completely differently. And so I see a lot of the beautiful things in life and the beautiful things about myself and who I am instead of feeling so shameful about all of my experiences and decisions. Yeah. So, so also having estrogen that helps, um, to release those, uh, emotions. So they're just a little bit easier for me to release. Yeah. That leads to a question that I've been wanting to ask while you're going through, uh, you're, you're coming out, you're going off to college, then you're working through this gender and then transition thing. What are you doing in the world? Like what's, what's your business? What are you studying? What are you putting your Mm -hmm. attention to outside of yourself? Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, I had been working as a server and bartender um, and a barista um, during all that time. I was going on and off to Eastern Michigan University trying to figure out what I wanted to major in. Um, Did you have any leads? Anything Um, that you were interested in? I would think about something and I would say, oh, this could be what I would want to do. I would start it. And I wouldn't finish it because I'd be like, this is, I hate it. I'm miserable. I'm not enjoying this. So that, you know, kept happening for the last 10 years. Um, So you kept on moving schools after? after Well, I was still at Eastern. I just went on and off. I would like go back and then, you know, and try something and then decide, okay, I'm not going to go this semester, you know? Um, And just preoccupied by my friends. um, fear of missing out on going to the bars and part, you know, I was, I was, I wasn't thinking about future stuff. Like I was just thinking about that weekend, the, what was going on with the people that I worked with, you know, like just very like chaotic, dramatic partying type of like early 20 year old mm-hmm. stuff, you know, just to contrast it with another earlier generation, you weren't super online then. It sounds like you were very active in your body being social. Okay. Let me rephrase that. To what degree were you online and to what degree did that inform you? 
Yeah. Um, so Tumblr was a thing um, when I was 17. So that was where I got a lot of my um, information about trans stuff. Um, YouTube, you know, like that was like the, the start of it. So that would have been in two, 2012. Mm. Uh, during my transition, Instagram, you know, all of that. And I started connecting with a lot of people um, without the outline uh, or online, but social things. That's when um, the Philadelphia Trans Health Conference um, was going on every year. It's kind of like in so it's in Philadelphia. It's a conference. Mm-hmm. They have a bunch of like workshops and um, booths and things like that for anyone who identifies under the trans umbrella. You can go to it's a free event um, every year. And that was like a really cool way to network with a lot of people and stuff like that. So that was like keeping me online as well. And then during that time, I was doing my documentary. So I was trying to, you know, socialize as much as I could with you know, everyone and putting my content out there, um, mm-hmm. throughout the years from there. Um, so, you, but yeah, you had a creative outlet or a creative project and that was tied to your identity. That was yes. linked to it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then as you progress through transition, how does your connection to the outside world change? You said something to the effect that after two years, you done all the checklists or you you went down the map to a certain degree and then mm-hmm. you were left with your feelings at that point how was your relationship to the outside world and that your connection to um are you saying like like regarding of like my gender and like how people were perceiving me then just your just in general when you start to get you, you mentioned earlier after the two-year mark you started to get mm-hmm you started have to, having to sit with your uh, depression. You stopped taking care yeah. of yourself. seems like you kind of entered into a depressive state. I'm just wondering to what degree did that um, inform your relationship to the outside world? Was that still kind of steady? Um, yeah. Like I'm hoping I'm understanding your question correctly. Um, I, I feel like that side of me of like the depression and self-destructive and all that was very hidden from like how I was maybe presenting to other people. Um, I tried to be as authentic as I could when it came to expressing, uh, that side of myself because I knew that I wasn't the only one that would probably be feeling that way, um, with their transition. Um, and it, it was very, um, I felt very uh, shameful about my self-destructive actions um, or the depression that I had a- around my gender and gender expression um, because I made this documentary. I told everyone who I was, you know, all of those feelings. So I didn't want to seem like, hmm. like, I didn't want that to be a way to invalidate me being trans if I was questioning it or, you know, so I just, I just was like, this is what I'm doing. You know, um, and still was, I would say I was still figuring out those feelings. I didn't have the words, um, necessarily for it just yet. What began to start to give you definite words or concepts about detransitioning? Yeah, I would say, um, so I do want to note this, like, so from the two year to five year mark, right, I there were things and ways that I felt that I didn't understand why I felt that way or why I was doing certain behaviors and being ashamed of it. 
And I do want to talk about those behaviors and things. And I'm a very fluid person sexuality wise as well. I like masculine and feminine people. Um, and as this masculine person and being perceived as male and sleeping with men, which obviously they would perceive me as male, I felt uncomfortable with that. So a lot of times there would be role playing as, as this more feminine person in, in a lot of my sexual relationships. And I felt very ashamed of that because I was like, well, that's not who I am in my day to day. And it was confusing to me. Why would I want to be in this feminine role? And, and I kept thinking uh, it was maybe this like inner homophobia for myself that I didn't want to be in this gay male relationship. And that wasn't it at all. I just didn't see myself as a gay male. And I didn't see myself as a male person. But I didn't know at that moment I didn't see myself as a male person because that is what I became. And that is how people address me because society likes to stick to the binary. So I didn't really understand what gender fluid was because I was like, no, I'm, I look like this, you know? Um, and so for those three years of being extremely depressed and uncomfortable in my body, again, not knowing why I was uncomfortable in my masculinity, um, not like being how, not like being how I was perceived by men and women, um, yeah, like that. Like those were those were big things for me, but but I didn't have the words or understand what that meant because I was like, well, why? Well, I am a I am looked at as a guy, and I do like sleeping with men. So why am I unhappy that they're treating me like a man? Hmm. You know, and and I didn't really understand that. Um, and so when it got to the point of me deciding to detransition. I never thought it was possible. In those three years, I never thought it was possible. I had looked up to the extent that I could look up online of what that was, and there was no one that looked as masculine as I did. There was no one that had gone through the procedure that I had gone through just yet. Like there was no there was no representation for me. And when I saw other people, maybe they were only on hormones a couple of years. They got masculine, but, you know, not to the extent that I did. And, and so their changes, they like if they talked about it, it was just not in depth. Um, and it wasn't hmm. for me, like appearance is very important. I needed to see pictures. I needed to see what like like how when you when you transition from female to male or male to female, there's all of these photos. There's all this representation. You can see how someone is changing. That wasn't there. And so, and, and because I made the decision to do that, I never thought that I could change that decision. Hmm. And so when it, when the pandemic hit last summer, that's when everything changed for me. And I basically, when everything was closed on, I, I was still in my depression so for a, for a month into everything being closed down, losing my job, not being on unemployment yet, all of those things, I mean, I was, I was eating a ton of food. Like I was binge eating. I was just watching mindless things on the computer. I was smoking a lot of weed um, in an unhealthy way and sleeping constantly. And at that time, a year ago, I had gotten to my heaviest. I was 170 pounds. And for me, that was really heavy. And um, 
I just, I was, yeah, I was, it was really bad. Like I got to a point where I couldn't see my future and I didn't want to see it. And one day I just was like, I, I can't allow myself to feel like this anymore. Like I just got so dark and deep into the hole that I was like, I either change whatever I have to do to change to never feel like this again, or like I'm not living anymore. And one day, well, I had started getting into very, very little microdosing psilocybin. I got really interested in that. And I only had like a tea. It was like this ginger lemon tea. I think it was like 375 milligrams, something so small. And, and I wanted to look into it for depression and addiction and PTSD. That was my main focus of why I wanted to try this. And I heard an um, amazing research and reviews on it. And I was like, let me try this. And I did. And for the first time, I kind of like, it felt like I stepped outside of my body and was mm -hmm. looking at myself and just realized like more about like, like I'm this extremely complex human who had gone through all of these extremely complex experiences and I can make whatever my reality, like I can make my reality just like I always have. It, it felt kind of like this, this, I found the key, you know, and unlocked all of these secrets like about the world of like how like I can actually do whatever I want that makes me happy and I can make myself happy and I can cultivate the beautiful life that I want to cultivate. And I never thought that that was possible. I felt like I was stuck in this certain life that I had. Um, and I would say it was probably about a couple of weeks after I had first started trying it. Um, I went into my grandparents' bathroom and I had lived with my grandparents when I was like 16, 17 and moved out on my own. And when I was living back with them again and I didn't have work, I didn't have school, I didn't have anything. It felt like I was 16 again in the summer at my grandparents' house. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I just like the word dissociation popped up in my head. There was, I didn't knew, know what that word meant. I didn't like, I, I never looked at like nothing. It just popped up in my head. And I was like, why did I think of that word? And I looked it up and I was like, oh my God. I was like, what if I dissociated and created this new life, Isa, because of all of the things that I went through? Um, and I do want to note, I also with psilocybin, I did some hypnotherapy for some inner child work that summer as well. I really wanted to work mm -hmm. on myself. So that kind of healed me, my, my inner child a lot with all of the things like I just, I was able to forgive and accept and just process all of that finally. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what kind of released for me to come to the terms that, oh, I don't have to be on hormones for the rest of my life. I don't have to look like this to the world and be ashamed when I present this feminine person, you know, in the dark in these sexual experiences, which were creating more horrible sexual habits of myself, you know, like, hmm. and so it was like being able to say, like, I don't have to continue this route was life saving for me. Hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and 
was there I might be getting ahead of things, but was there any social implications for going back for detransitioning? That, um that you were worried I, about? I was yeah, I I mean of course. You know, whenever you make a big ch- decision that isn't the norm, like you're going to worry about what everyone's thinking. Um so just like I did when I transitioned, I definitely thought that when I was detransitioning, um I did think, you know, are people going to invalidate my trans experience? Are people going to say my documentary was all a lie? Or, you know, I mean, I had this social presence on on Instagram and, and starting to be on TikTok and things like that. And I was like, I don't want people to think that I'm, I was lying or, you know, um, but I, and I, and I also, when I decided that I was going to go off of hormones, I had actually met someone in August who was a femme presenting person and we got in a relationship and I thought it was going to go another way than it did. And I, I went back on hormones for four months And this is where I, and then when we broke up, this is where I realized, I finally realized, oh, I'm using my happiness, like from my relationships. And I'm basing my identity on my relationships because of what I was so used to knowing of how I grew up, like being a masculine person with a feminine person, a man and a woman, this idea of like what that relationship should look like was what I was so used to. And I finally realized, oh, my God, I have been doing this my whole life. And so I needed that relationship and breakup to realize that I was basing my gender identity and expression, like some of it on my partnerships mm-hmm. and, and that perception of when people see us on the street or, or you know, or yeah, whatever it yeah. was. And then I decided to go off hormones again. Um, but I was worried about it because, you know, like I said, um, but I ultimately just got to this this part of my life where I was like, I don't care anymore. Like if I had to live, I, I basically was basically I asked myself this question question that really helped me was if I died tomorrow, and and tomorrow I can express my gender however I want to, would I do it in a masculine ex- expression or would I do it in a feminine one? And I knew the answer. And that was femininity for me. I had missed it so much. Hmm. And I felt like I had suppressed my femininity so much because I needed I felt like I needed to prove my masculinity. Um, And to be honest, people knew me as the person that you see today in this feminine experience, majority of my life. And they've only seen me in this masculine appearance for only six years of my life. And as much as it might be a surprise for a lot of people, for the people who have known me my whole life, it's not. Hmm. And and that was what I was scared of too, was that I was thinking about the people that I had met on my trans journey. I was worrying about them. And I was like, that I don't need to be doing that. Hmm. I know the good things that I've done for the community and I'm I'm and I still believe in those things and I still support everyone in their decisions. So just because I'm deciding to express my gender a little differently like that doesn't mean that all of that was BS, you know? Mm-hmm. How do you think that what, what's the state of the trans community's attitude, broadly speaking, if you feel comfortable saying this towards detransition and what do you think uh, would be the proper way for detransition to be accepted or uh, noticed in the trans, the LGBT community? 
because it seems to be materially it is a growing faction uh, there are more and more detransitioners. So what would you like to have out there for information? And how do you think the uh, acceptance of that, does it exist yet? Is it still unknown? Is there resistance? Uh, um, I'm hoping that like when people see my journey, they kind of break that ideology up a little bit because I, I think that it, whoever wants to do whatever they want to do in their life, as long as it's not harming anyone else, you do that. Everyone modifies their body in so many ways that who am I to judge what anyone is going to do? The one thing that I find when it comes to the trans community and people who are detransitioning, um, there is a lot of negativity around it. And I think because people think that if someone's detransitioning, they regret their transition. And for me personally, that is not the case at all. I don't regret that transition because I wouldn't have made the decision that I made to detransition if I didn't go through that. And I loved my experience being, being this trans male person too. I met a lot of amazing people. My masculinity was explored how I needed to explore it to know what was, what was the the middle that I needed for that. Um, Mm -hmm. I learned so much about myself. I mean, I had, I mean, to be able to be in a world and experience it as a feminine person and a masculine person, I mean, think of the knowledge and interactions and experiences that you get from something like that, that no one or just a few people can say that they had. And I think that's really awesome and really beautiful. So there's there's no regrets hmm. because if you're making a decision and it's positive, just because it changes doesn't mean that you need to regret it. That's what life is. You're making decisions based on your happiness and what you think that you need or want to get to that next level. And life is just a continuous learning process. And you're continuously evolving. I mean, every 10 years, you're not the same person that you've been. And that could be to a different extent for each person. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing that I do want to kind of add to that when it comes to the community in general as well is, I mean, I I do get comments on... Like, for example, I'm very active on TikTok and I'll get a lot of comments that say, like, thank God you're not a turf and it's uh, trans exclusionary radical feminist. Radical feminist. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So and I never really knew that term prior to that. Um, But I hate that comment because that's someone assuming that that is what I was going to be because of detransitioning. So they're using this term and generalizing it to people who maybe have a same experience, but it's so complex. I mean, mm-hmm. not everyone's experience is the same. So how could you say that just because someone detransitions, this is what they are? And I think I have found some people who have detransitioned, like I said, who regret their transition, who are unhappy with their body again, their, their, um, as far as like their surgeries and things like that. And, and of course, we're all going to feel uncomfortable about those things. Um, but they feel ashamed that they were viewed as a masculine person, you know, and all these things. And then go back to identifying um, usually heavily as a um, cis female feminine person. And for me, from transitioning and then wanting to detransition, it completely evolved my view on gender where I don't feel like a woman and I don't feel like a man. I just feel like this human 
And Mm -hmm. so now the way that I view my gender, even though I present feminine is I'm trying to kind of like break that up because I don't necessarily regret my top surgery. The only thing I regret is that I got the surgery to look like a male chest instead of like maybe a more neutral chest. Like, Hmm. like I am happy that I got a reduction. I did not like my large breast. So, so there's differences that I feel to other people who have detransition and, and I think that I will say this and, and the audience can take what they will from that. But I think that when I transitioned, I thought I was like, wow, I really like have understood like gender and it, and it's so complex and all these things, but I was so stuck in the binary and I, I, the fluidity, I just, I would, like I said, I suppressed my femininity, all these things. I still had that very like heteronormative idea of being trans. And I think that when you kind of break that up and then start to kind of like go into your fluidity, like that's where you really have kind of like evolved. Hmm. And so I just find that sometimes, which it's totally okay to be in the binary. I just find that sometimes the hate for their bodies on both ways. And now I don't even feel the hate. Like now Hmm. I just look at my body and I love and accept it for exactly what it is. If that makes sense. It seems, I think you pointed to it through your microdosing experiences, but it seems like your philosophy has shifted on a deeper level than just beyond gender. Like you broke through gender. Yeah. Sorry, it seems like gender, you were, you were using gender as a kind of a spiritual exercise to figure out reality and your ontology and your existential, you know, yeah. uh, level of, of interacting with the world. It seems like you broke through it to another level. Am I sensing something correctly? Is there something deeper beyond that, that you've, uh, that's, that you've been guided to, or that's uh, shifted for you? Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say that like 100%. Um, it really, I mean, it, yeah, it really just changed my view about the world and who I am in it. Um, and what humans are capable of. Um, and then, yeah, more into the bigger picture, like of, I, I think I would say that I became a, an even more spiritual person. Um, as far as like a person in the universe, you know, like there's so much more out there. There's, there's so many, um, I don't know. I saw, I started to really see how everything connects and how moments and experiences can be patterns. And um, really, really seeing and listening to signs um, and looking at maybe my thoughts, not necessarily as my own, but as signs and hints mm-hmm. um, to deeper meaning of things. Um, I'm an extremely intuitive person. Um, and healing all of that part, all, all of those pieces of myself has just helped me just be more in tune with like, I would say like my humanness and my soul more than my gender identity, my sexuality, my labels, my identity, like, you know, all of that. Mm-hmm. Like I kind of just have just taken all of that away and just more so like, enjoying life just for like the human experience it could be a weird way to look at it but i appreciate that i i res that resonates with me 
What about the mirror? How's your relationship with the mirror? Yeah. Um, I, I would say that like, I look at myself and I feel like an overwhelming feeling of love for the person in that reflection. And, and I'm not looking at the appearance so much, obviously I do. Um, but it's more about when I look at myself, um, I had said this before, kind of like, um, I think now, and I think this could from, from my hypnotherapy sessions and how to view myself and, and past me, um, kind of like, in it's like cradling, like I'm, I'm holding that person and saying like, you've been through a lot. Like you're an amazing person. You're a beautiful soul. You're, you're, you're this thing. And I look at myself with so much care now and so much respect. Um, so when I look at that reflection in the mirror, it's not about looks anymore. It's more about who I am and appreciating my life and the person in that mirror, if that can kind of explain it. If you can bring that into your work while you have that man or woman in the barber shop chair, uh, being able to Mm -hmm. see them and recognizing them while you're dealing with their hair could be a great gift that you give people. If you can translate the care that you give to yourself to other people, I can see how that would just be a really awesome experience for many people. Yeah, I um I agree with that. I have been trying to practice um making people see um the beautiful aspects of themselves. Um and obviously appearance is like a huge thing, so it's like why didn't I go to barber school sooner? Um <laughs> but I do like making people feel good about themselves because I think that in our day to day we are constantly putting ourselves down and in any ways but also putting ourselves down for even wanting to look better, you know, like whether that be with the surgery or whether that be with the hormone. Um, Hmm. But I think, you know, like there's just so many pressures from society that it's, it's hard to just say like, never look at something of yourself that's bad, you know, because you will always think that maybe my, my eye looks, my right eye looks bigger than the left or, you know, whatever it is, you know, so you will always want to modify yourself in some way. And also learning that you don't need to be ashamed of that either. Hmm. if it's going to make you feel good, that's okay. Hmm. So just kind of trying to like let people take care of themselves, how they want to take care of themselves, but without the pressures of what everyone is thinking about, just what they want. So I try and translate that. Um, not even just with my, like, um, some of the clients that I've had and my future clients, but even with my classmates, um, Hmm. giving them a better idea of who they are in this world and that, um, they can achieve a lot. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah. And we're all very unique and complex people. Hmm. Yeah. So on the production side for interested internet citizens, what are you putting out? You have a TikTok. Do you do frequent YouTube videos? Do you plan anything more in those domains? And how can people get in contact with your work in that fashion? Yeah. Um, so I have my TikTok account. Um, the username is Issa, I-S-S-A-X Ishmael, I-S-M-A-I-L. It is the same thing for my Instagram as well. I post more on TikTok 
than I do Instagram because I'm not going anywhere. So I'm not just taking photos of myself all the time, but the videos are a lot of fun for me to do. Um, Mm -hmm. As far as YouTube, um, you could just search my name. I'll pop up. Um, I've only made two videos so far. I thought about documenting it like I did my transition, but I found that 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 preoccupied too much time while I was going through this very emotional transformative period of my, of my life. And I didn't get to fully process a lot of that. And I didn't get to sit with it, my feelings too much because I was so on the go and worried about what I was going to put out there. Um, I stopped hormones on February 1st of this year. So going on four months now. So I've only had two videos out. I plan to kind of like do updates on YouTube um, just when I feel like there's some information that I need to share, um, whether it be emotional or physical. Um, But as much as I enjoy being on social media, I sometimes just feel like it could be really toxic for me. Um, And I think a lot of people can resonate with that. Because as much as I'm not trying to compare myself to all of my peers, social media does influence that a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think TikTok is a really amazing platform um, and has really like made the human consciousness in the world like kind of rise a little bit because now Mm -hmm. we're getting access to a lot of people's thoughts that we wouldn't normally have access to. Um, And you can think of that in the sense of when there was just maybe MySpace or there was just maybe Facebook, you're connecting with only your people immediately around you, whether you work with them, whether you're friends, your family. So usually everyone has kind of the same idea as you. And then you add more friends and you might see articles here and there. But with TikTok and the For You page, I mean, they're just shooting videos out at you hmm. like from all over whether it's something that you agree with and it's your kind of like ideas of life or, you know, whatever it is, or it's a new idea or perspective you've never even heard of or saw. So it's Mm -hmm. really helping people see like how things are in so many different places or how people think or the things that they do, you know? Um, So I'm really enjoying that aspect of that platform specifically because it's, it's constantly opening up my mind and I'm sure others to, other lives, you know, and just, Mm -hmm. so I, I think that's really cool, but, but that would probably be like the only social media platform that I'm like very much on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And has there been, uh, any form of withdrawal or do you miss the testosterone being off of that? Is there like a, I ache in your heart? No, No, I do not miss testosterone one bit. Um, I have never been, and I didn't mean to cut you off when I said that, but I was like, I'm so happy that I'm off of hormones. I, there's two, there's a couple of things. People can tell you what hormones are going to be like. People are going to tell you what you're going to look like. People can tell you all about your journey, whatever, you know, because they've seen so many, Mm -hmm. but it's not that you won't believe them. You're just not going to really realize it or know until you do it. And you can put that for anything in life, you know, like you have to go through something yourself to realize a lot of things. Hmm. And it took me that to realize that hormones are a very strong drug, whether it be estrogen or testosterone, and it can change a lot of parts of you, whether you like it or you don't. 
And I also am not a person that likes to be on medication. I, unless I absolutely have to. And I had said this in a video at this point in my life, I absolutely did not have to be on testosterone anymore. That wasn't a life-saving medication for me anymore. And so I didn't need to prioritize that. And the first time I went off last summer for a couple of months before I went back on, um, it was a little intense for me, the, the mood swings, because I had been on testosterone for almost six years at that point. So mm-hmm. a harsh cutoff, you know, kind of made my mood swings, but also doing a lot of, you know, self-work. You know, it was just an overwhelming time in general. Mm-hmm. When I decided to go out the second time, it's been a smooth transition. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel just more like myself. And I used to kind of dissociate a little bit when I was presenting mass and how I was to the point where I felt like I was in a body suit. And mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. felt very disconnected from my body. And now for the first time in my life, I feel like I'm very present and, and it, it's never felt like me like it does now. But that's, I don't think necessarily because of my expression. I think it's just because of my views now of who I am in the world and what I, how I can live my life with no limitations. And that's making me feel a little bit freer and more connected to this body that I'm in. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much for allowing me to hear your story firsthand. Yeah. Um, I have not done a interview style like this. Um, ever? So this, ever. No. You're pretty um, good at it. I appreciate that. Um, I think, I think that I, I think that I thoroughly explain my feelings. Um, I think I explain them in a little bit more complex ways that not everyone sees that perspective. But when I do say it, then they understand a little bit better. Um, of like how it's not just this like very surface level. Like there's so many deep layers of transitioning and detransitioning and the feelings that go with it. Um, but you know, I, I think I also wanted to be able to tell my story in a way that I could so many a times. That's why I did the documentary and such, um, Mm. that I wasn't as, like I was a little hesitant to to pick who I would talk to about this kind of thing. And when you reached out, um, I actually, I, I looked through your YouTube page and I saw, um, Buck Angel, mm-hmm. right? I, yeah, I saw, I, I started watching a little bit of it. Um, and I just really liked how you gave him the, um, space to kind of really share his feelings. Um, and so I didn't feel like you had, directed him or guided him into uh, maybe like certain things to say or imply things about his life. You, you really gave him the space to kind of like explain his feelings. Um, hmm. And like, I felt comfortable to be able to correct you, you know, or like, or not even correct you. When you asked the question, I was kind of just like, I actually didn't think about that. You know, like I didn't feel persuaded to have to like kind of come up with some answer to something mm. Good. And I just didn't have an answer for it, you know? So I really appreciate that as well. Um, well, it's my yeah. channel, but it's your show. Right, right. I love that. <laughs> Congratulations for reaching the end of the discussion. If you enjoyed it, do be sure to leave a review or a comment or a thumbs up or whatever you need to do 
to show that glorious algorithm that this is some good stuff. And do be sure to go and check that back catalog as it is brimming full of fantastic conversations. Links to provide monetary support are down there in the description as well. Have a good night.